0: thank you so much brother greg for leading us in prayer this morning i invite you to open your bible do you have a, your copy of god's word i encourage you to open it up turn it on find if you will first john chapter number four. First john chapter number four we're in a series called confident faith that's walking through the book of first john together first john reminds us that we have confidence in the lord our faith there's a confident faith that we have and uh, today we want to look at chapter number four. We're talking about um, this, great, um, this great faith the Lord has given us and the confidence that we have in Christ Jesus. Now in chapter number four, in uh, exactly beginning with verse number one, it is really an expansion of the thought of the idea that's found in chapter three, verse 24. For it says, the one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And The way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. And Then he moves right to the next verse. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming, even now, is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who's in you is greater than the one who's in the world. And they are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. But we are from God. And anyone who knows God listens to us, and anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Hmm. There is a spirit of truth and there is a spirit of deception that is operative in this world in which we live. So today, the message we're talking about is counterfeit faith or counterfeit religion. And so there's a lot of counterfeits in this world. There's a lot of fakes in this world. And uh, they want to dupe you. They want to trick you. And they want to lead you astray. Those who peddle in counterfeit money, they are trying to dupe you. They give you something that pretends to be something of value, but it's really worthless. Federal agents who are in the business of spotting counterfeit bills, you know what they do. They don't study just what counterfeit bills look like. They hold in touch and know what the real bill feels like until they're so familiar with it that any counterfeit is easily exposed. That's what we must do, come to know the truth. And the truth resident, resident, resides in us. And, and the truth guides us in our life. So let's look at what John has to say. First of all, he says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. You know what? I like to paraphrase this and Point number one, do not believe what everybody's saying. Isn't that a good thing to understand? Listen, listen, don't believe what everybody's selling. Don't, you don't have to buy what they're selling. They don't have to believe what everybody else is saying. The word believe here is the same word as used in verse number 23 now of chapter 3. Now, this is the command that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. The mean believe means to trust in, rely upon. But here in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, but don't believe what every spirit. And what he uses the word spirit, Calvin says, suggests that we should uh, say the word prophet. Do not believe every prophet or every preacher. But, and I think that's the idea. He says don't believe what everybody's saying, but he uses the word spirit. That's because there are a lot of preachers and teachers and people that want to convince you that they're speaking for God to you and for you to trust in them, rely upon them. He said, just don't believe what everybody's saying. A lot of people claim to have the Spirit, so-called teachers and preachers. But really, their message is more aligned to the world. We live in the age of... Sermonettes for Christianettes. We want pep talks, and most preaching, and in not in, in some churches, the preaching resembles pep talks and self help, and it's not much different than what you would read in some self help books. with some Bible scriptures spiced in for a Christian flavor. But that's not true preaching. There's a lot of false ideas, and those false ideas usually make you the center of the gospel message. You are not the center of this thing. It's God himself. And so when you turn on the cable TV and they begin to talk about you need to sow your seed to their ministry so you can get God's miracle, switch the channel. It's nothing but baloney that's following after. Now we're not to be cynical, but we're not to be gullible. And we are called to have a some sense of discernment, and the Holy Spirit has been given to you so that you might know truth. In John's Gospel, chapter number 16, listen to the words of Jesus himself telling us, in verse number 13, "...when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears." He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. He's saying he will guide you in truth. Listen, just because they're on the Internet doesn't believe it make it true. Just because they got a big church or a big following doesn't mean it's true. Just because they're an entertaining speaker doesn't make it true. Just because they're popular doesn't make it true. Just because they claim to have knowledge doesn't mean it's true. If it does not line up with the Word of God, it's not true. some of this health wealth and prosperity baloney is that's exactly what it is two of the famous founders of that teaching was a man named Kenneth Copeland who's still around and Kenneth Hagan and we used to laughingly make fun of it Kenneth Copeland and Kenneth Hagan and they Hagan was like a father to Copeland and they both propounded this the lie of health wealth and prosperity I always called it, I called it Copenhagen theology. <laughs> Just like the tobacco, spit it out. It's no good. <laughs> Secondly, test the message and the messenger. He says in this passage of Scripture, he says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. Now he doesn't say he's saying test the spirits, test the person, but also the message that they're preaching. In 1 Thessalonians 5:20 it says, don't despise prophecies, but test all things, hold to what is good. Now, here he, the word test means to examine, to try, to weigh it out, to measure it. Just, don't just take their word for it. Test it. Test it to see if it's right. Now, what are some tests that we can apply to a message or the messenger to see if they're giving us the truth? I think uh, quickly we need to run through this. Number one, one of the tests might be the worldly test. Is what they're teaching and preaching lined up more with the world than it is the Word of God? In chapter 2, verse number 15, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of one's possessions is not from the Father but from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. But the one that does the will of God remains forever. So if it's more in alignment with the world than the Word, it's not passing the worldly test. 1 John chapter 4, verse 5 says, They are from the world, therefore the world listens to them. You see, the world is listening to them because they're from the world. They talk like the world, sound like the world, and the world embraces them. Dr. Hebert said, the world listens to those who speak its language. Danny Akin said, their message is attractive to the world. Why? Because it's in agreement with the world. Secondly, the alignment test. In chapter 4, verse number 5, he says, But you are from God, little children, and you've conquered them, because the one who is in you is greater than you that's in the world. Verse 5 they are from the world, therefore what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. Verse 6, we are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. You see, their message is, in, is not in alignment with Scripture And when your message is not in alignment with Scripture, not in alignment with sound teaching, not in alignment with Orthodox Christian faith, you know it's off track. It's not in alignment. It will lead you astray. Third test is the rebellion test. In chapter 3, the Spirit, these speakers, these teachers, these so-called preachers... If they are preaching, but within them, them is a spirit of rebellion and lawlessness and sinfulness, then they do not pass the test. Chapter 3, verse number 4. Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed that he might take away sins. There's no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin and everyone who sins has not seen him or know him. Lawlessness is, is, the, is the, the breaking, the intention, rebellion against authority, rebellion against leadership, a rebellion against the law. I'm not gonna do, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. I don't care what the rule is, I don't care what the law is. It is rebellion i don't care about leadership i'm against leadership i'm rebelling against leadership they're rebels they they want to they there's a spirit of rebellion in them and i'm telling you what if you hit your if you hit your cart to a leader who is a rebel understand ultimately the rebellion is against god himself The Bible says rebellion is as witchcraft. It is evil. Show me a rebellion, a rebel, and I'll show you an ungodly man or woman. Number four test is a righteousness test. Chapter 3, verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. For say, but the one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil is sin from the beginning. Understand, he says, the Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. You see, one of the things is, if a person who's teaching or preaching, asking you to listen to them, are they living right? Are they acting right? Are they practicing righteousness in their life? Or are they living in a sinful lifestyle? Fifth test, the fellowship test. Chapter 2, verse number 18 Chapter 2, verse number 18, children, it's the last hour, as you've heard, that the Antichrist is coming, and even now many Antichrists have come. By this, we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us, for if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. They went out that it might be made clear that none of them belonged to us. You see, they're out of fellowship. They're out of fellowship in the church. They're out of fellowship. They're not living in community. And whenever you disassociate yourself with God's people and you have a message from God, don't believe that person. I know this isn't sexy. I'm just telling you. It's the truth. I don't want you to be deceived. Number six, the greed test in 2nd peter chapter 2 verse 1 listen close to this there were indeed false prophets among the people just as there will be false teachers among you and they will bring in destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them and they'll bring swift destruction on themselves and many will follow their depraved ways and the way of truth will be maligned because of them. Now, verse 3, notice this. They will exploit you in their greed. With made-up stories, their condemnation produced long ago is not idle and their destruction does not sleep. Wow. What he's saying is that they will lead you astray. There are false prophets, and they will deceive you, trick you. They're counterfeit. And one of the ways that you know you're, they're counterfeit is they exploit you, and they exploit the gospel for their own personal gain. They peddle a gospel message for their own profit. And so if you're watching TV and... Someone says, I've got the greatest news I want you to know in all the world. This news will liberate you. This, lo- this news will set you apart. This message, this teaching I have will be the greatest thing. It will help you incredibly. And for a one-time gift of $75, I'll send it to you. Run. Do not buy what they're selling. Can you imagine the profit?" Can you imagine the Apostle Paul writing to the churches? Well, dear friends in Corinth, I want to send you another letter, but until I receive the seed gift for my offering, can you imagine? It's all bogus. It's a bunch of baloney. I've got some miracle healing prayer cloths here that will set you free and heal all of your cancer, And even restore your eyesight, and so for a one-time gift of $1,000, I'll send it to you. Listen, this is what you're doing. These are hucksters, and they cheapen the gospel. And your gifts are only helping them buy another vacation house. It's not the truth. (laughs) Second, <laughs> next test is the love test. That's a pretty important one. Chapter 3, verse 14. Listen to what, is, what John said. Do not be surprised, brother and sister, if the world hates you. We know that we've passed from death into life because we love our brothers and sisters, and the one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. And this is how we've come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Do they promote hate or love? Do they promote hate or love? But finally, uh, in this testing of the spirits, this is the most important test of all. And John says it in verse number two. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Does Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming, and even now it is already in the world. Anybody that doesn't teach that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God and that the Son of God came and took upon human flesh and dwelt among us, and he was a real human being... That is a heresy. And when are you? the, The truth of the matter is, we stumble over the truth about Jesus and who He is. Many people believe today that Jesus lived as a man, but they deny that He was God in the flesh. And they want a moral leader. They want a teacher of love. They want a benevolent personality that will agree with whatever lifestyle they want to live. But they don't want to believe in a Jesus who is the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through him. And there are other people that wanted to deny that somehow the Jesus Christ was not a real human being. That the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the early church, there were these heresies. And they, because the stumbling was over who Jesus was. John Calvin says, he's the stone on which all heretics stumble. It's true. And in Greek philosophy, in the early part of the centuries, they, for first century, they, they, they believed that the In this platonic philosophy that the spirit was all important but you couldn't believe that the human and the divine could be in the same body because the body was a prison that that holds the spirit and 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 the whole desire is the escape from the body this is platonic philosophy And when you wed Platonic philosophy with Christianity, it becomes heresy. Doceticism is, is, it means to seem, to appear. It's a false teaching that Jesus was a spirit and he appeared to be in a body, but he wasn't really in a body because the body is evil and matter is evil. But see, they misunderstand. Jesus came in the flesh, a real human being. And this this is where we trip up. So today I'm going to do something. I, I, I want to read one of the church fathers today from the early establishment of the church and what he has to say about Jesus and how it had an influence on a confession of faith that we we believe that there's a statement about who Jesus is. The Bishop of Alexandria in the second and third century is Athanasius. And he helped, was credited with helping the church understand in the midst of heretical teaching, before we have the full canon of Scripture like we have today, of who Jesus really is in his humanity and what Jesus' death and crucifixion and what the resurrection of Jesus means for all of us. And so, Athanasius' words I want to share with you today is as if in a a dialogue. James Bryant Smith used this technique, and I, I want to share these thoughts with you. So the interviewer would say, Athanasius, a common question people ask is, Why did Jesus have to become a human being and suffer and die on a cross? Why didn't Jesus just teach us about how to live in a way that's pleasing to God? Athanasius' response. That would have worked if mankind had not fallen into complete corruption. If we humans had merely broken a law, we could repent of it. If our problem were ignorance, then education would be our solution but the human problem much deeper than that. We are corrupt and depraved, and it's like a disease that cannot be cured by willpower or by knowledge. Interviewer, then how did we get into this predicament? Athanasius. It's a long story, but I'll tell you as simply and briefly as possible. God created humans in his image, which means that they can reason and create and they can know God. And Adam and Eve were created in freedom for fellowship with God, yet they were given only one commandment with which to show their love and obedience to God. They could not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This tree symbolized the desire to be God, for only God truly knows good and evil. And they were warned that of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for the day that you eat it you will die well they did eat this tree and they died in a spiritual sense right away cast from god's presence no longer able to live in easy fellowship of eden and consequently they began to die physically not only would they one day die physically but they were now living in a state of corruption Question three, but God could have just forgiven them, right? No, God could not go back on his commandment. But God could also not let his precious creation be destroyed. What then was God being good to do? That's the divine dilemma. Interviewer, but was there no way that humans could save themselves Could God demand that they repent? Athanasius, no. Repentance could not change what they now were in their nature, which was corrupt. Even if they ceased from sinning, which they could not do, they would still be corrupt on the inside under the law of death. Question five. So what is the solution to the problem? Athanasius, it's not what. It's rather who that was needed to solve the problem, only the word of God himself, who was in the beginning, who made all things out of nothing, could solve the human problem for this purpose. Then God, who is not limited by a physical body or under the power of sin, entered the world and he took to himself a body, a human body, as our own. The interviewer: But why? Couldn't God have appeared in some other form? Why did he have to have a human body? Athanasius, Jesus took on a body like our own because human bodies were liable to the corruption of death. And he surrendered his body to death in place of all, and he offered it to the Father. Thus he did out of sheer love for us, so that in his death all might live, and the law of death would be thereby abolished. Thus he would make death disappear as utterly as straw in a fire. (laughs) The interviewer says, So he took on a body so he could die? Is that right? Yes. Corruption could not be removed other than through death. For this reason, therefore, God, Jesus assumed a body capable of death. It was by surrendering to death the body which he had taken as an offering and sacrifice free from every stain that he abolished death for his human brothers and sisters by offering of the equivalent. He fulfilled in death all that was required. You stress the words offering of the equivalent. I don't understand what you mean, Athanasius. Complete corruption. That's the state of human beings after the fall. Can only be reversed by the sacrifice of complete incorruption. Jesus was sinless. What does that do for you and me? Jesus reverses the original fall by doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. By the sacrifices of his own body, Jesus did two two things. He put an end to the law of death that barred our way, and he made a new beginning of life for us by the giving of us the hope of the resurrection. Jesus, you see, destroyed death forever. And the interviewer says, then let me switch subjects. Why did Jesus die the way that he did on a cross? Couldn't he have died another way and still accomplish the goal? Athanasius said Jesus had to die in a very real, undeniable public death that everyone could see. If there's no witness to his death, no one would believe his resurrection. He would be regarded as a teller of tales. But why did he have to die in such a shameful way, the questioner asked. Crucifixion is the most painful, humiliating form of execution the world's ever known. Couldn't he have died a more honorable death? Athanasius says, I know you abhor the cross as you should. But note this, a marvelous and mighty paradox has occurred for the death which they thought to inflict on him as dishonor and disgrace has become the glorious monument of death's defeat. Though they tried to kill him in shame, the cross stands for all eternity as a symbol of the glory of God. Amen. Amen. And one final point, Athanasius said. How could he have reached out to the entire world if he had not been crucified? For it's only on the cross that a man dies with his arms outstretched. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? Athanasius had a huge influence in the Council of Nicaea. And the Council of Nicaea developed in what we call the Nicene. Creed, And this creed talks to us about who Jesus is against heresy, and I'm going to read part of it today. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and all things visible and invisible, and one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Begotten, this is important, not made. Of the same essence, important, same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary he was made a human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. That's who Jesus is. That's who the church has confirmed, affirmed that Jesus is. And this is how Athanasians fought tooth and toenail that this sound doctrine would be in the Nicene Creed. And when you have these flippant people preaching about a Jesus of this world that looks like this world, they have moved away from the orthodox teaching about who Jesus is. And they are false prophets. Do you think Jesus was really a fully a human being? <laughs> it tests us a little bit. Sometimes we want to make him like some ghostly figure, but not a real human being. But he wasn't really a human being; he couldn't save us. But he was also fully God. Hmm. You know who Rich Mullins is? Christian recording artist. He wrote a, b- a song. Boy like me, man like you. And it presses on the idea about Jesus being a human as a boy. And so I want to read part of this song, this poem, and listen to it closely. He asked some questions about Jesus as a boy. Did you grow up hungry? Did you grow up fast? Did the little girls giggle when you walked past? (laughs) Did you wonder what it was... That made them laugh. Did you wrestle with a dog and lick his nose? Did you play beneath the spray of a water hose? Did you ever make angels in the winter snow? Did you ever get scared playing hide and seek? Did you ever try to cry when you scraped, try not to cry when you scraped your knee? Did you ever skip a rock across a quiet Mullins, in the interview, said that his favorite line in this song was about making snow angels. The interviewer said, why? He said, I love the image of the one who made the actual angels as a little boy making snow angels in the snow. Jesus lived among us, and he laughed, and he cried, and he felt pain, and he used humor And he knew what it was like to have calluses on his hands and his feet. Jesus was a real man. But he was the Son of God. And God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our part that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Amen. Thirdly, in this passage of Scripture, John is reminding us, don't believe every spirit, test the spirit. But he's reminding us also to be confident in who you are. Now notice in what he says in verse number one. He says, dear friends. He said, dear beloved, dear loved ones. And then in verse number four, he says, you are from God, little children. Did you know you're a child of God? Tell your neighbor, you are a child of God. You are. You know what? You are a child of God. See what great love the Father has given to us that we should be called God's children. Chapter 3, verse 1. And we are the reason the world does not know us as it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. But we know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. You are a child of God. Number two, you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You're confessing that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. You're confessing that Jesus Christ came from God. You're confessing that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that Jesus died for your sins, that Jesus Christ is Lord. The truth of the matter is, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I have confidence because I am a child of God. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And I am a confessor and a believer in who Jesus Christ is as my Savior and Redeemer. That gives me boldness and confidence. But not only that, I'm an overcomer. Notice in verse number 4, the second part of it, because the one who's in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You've conquered them, these false prophets and false ideas, because greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. In chapter number 2, verse number 14, listen to what the Scripture says. It says, I've written to you, children, because you have come to know the Father. I've written to you, fathers, because you've come to know the one from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you're strong, God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. My friends, you are not a victim. You are a conqueror. Tell your neighbor you're a conqueror. It's time for us to get over this, that I'm I'm just a poor sinner. I'm just a poor sinner saved by grace. I can't help but live a sinful life. No, you are a conquering Christ Jesus, and you're a saint of God. Live like the person he's called you and made you to be. Amen. I'm a child of the king and an overcomer. John Calvin said we can no more be conquered than God himself, who has armed us with his own power to the end of the earth. Amen. Be of good cheer, Jesus said. I have overcome the world. Finally, you are a follower of the truth. In verse number 6, the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception are evident. The one who does not listen, we are from God. Anyone who, uh, who knows God listens to us. And anyone who's not from God does not listen to this, us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. The one who's from God listens to us. He listens to God's words. The reason you don't listen is because you're not from God, Jesus said in John eight forty-seven. In John chapter 10, verse number 4, and five, listen to what Jesus said concerning his sheep. He says, and when he's brought out, brought out all of his own outside, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. Verse five, they will never follow a stranger. Instead, they'll run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. But verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, they follow me. You know the voice of him. You follow him. And I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. And my Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one's even able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. You are a child of God. Can somebody say amen? amen? God loves you. God saves you. God is with you. So folks, in some nation, number one, don't just believe everybody who's talking. Secondly, test the spirits. What are they saying about Jesus? And thirdly, thirdly, understand who you are. You are a child of God. You are an overcomer. And you're a follower of truth in your life. That's who you are. Let's live like God's people. Amen? Father in heaven, thank you. For your truth, it's powerful, liberating, Father, I pray that today that if there's somebody here who's never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, that today they would turn from sin and selfishness and deception and turn to Jesus and confess their faith in Him, call on Him, and be saved. Confessing that I believe, Lord Jesus, that you are really the God-man. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose again from the grave. And I submit my, surrender my life to you as the Lord and Master of my life. I call on your name. Save me, Lord. I need you. Jesus' name.